Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. told my kids about the message today, about what I had to talk about on the way to school on Thursday. And they're like, well, can't you just skip it? Can't you just like... And I looked into it, and uh, no, we just can't skip it. Uh, we made a, a promise. The elders made a promise to ourselves, to God, and to the church a long, long time ago that we would unapologetically uh, preach the scriptures. And our approach is that, um, that the scriptures are better when you allow them to examine you versus you examine the scriptures. And we, we take the assumption that they're right, and if we can't figure it out, that's on us, and we need to wrestle with it and figure it out. Uh, so I'm going to do my best, but my, I want to implore you um, to approach today and, and God's word in general with humility. And we, we are built upon the gospel message, and so our lives, this church, is built upon the performance of Jesus and not our performance. Um, we're not, we're not a, a church that, that's saying, hey, look at us and look how we are and you should be like us. Um, we're saying, hey, look, man, if you're, don't be like us. Uh, be like him. Uh, love him, follow him, trust him. We want to help you do that. We want you to help us do that. You know, just as we got these people up, other members being recognized that that's what we're partnering to do. So our, our life is built upon his performance and not ours. Um, which means, though, which means, though, is that your your so that's the gospel, and that's the, what we're built on. That means that your your flesh, though, and your flesh is just a Bible word that means that part of you that's not yet submitted to God is at enmity with the gospel. What, what I mean by the enmity is just it's at war with it. I mean it doesn't like it, and so there's two major traps that we can fall into, two ditches that we can fall into, we can fall into a legalistic trap. That's really easy. In fact, it's easier than you think. Um, and that is that we, that legalism is that we, we have a, a set of rules. It's uh, not the, all the rules in the Bible, but it's, it's our favorite ones. And, and we tend to follow those and we tend to ignore the other ones. And we look down at people who can't follow our rules, and that's a legalistic trap. That is not built upon the performance of Jesus. That's built upon the performance of us. And so we don't want to fall into a legalistic trap. And we, we kind of took a, a big sword to that last week. And when we talked about the gospel and the fact that we didn't, we're, we didn't wash ourselves up, something outside of us washed us, sanctified us, justified us. And so our confidence is in, in the work of Jesus. And our, we consider everything that we've done like filthy rags, and, and we're just done with uh, pretending and uh, we want to take up the confessing. Um, and so we, we don't pretend that we don't sin, we confess that we do sin. And so we, we took a whack at uh, legalism. So those of us who are um, legalistic, you know, might have felt uncomfortable about that, or if that's where you, you trend, or, or maybe, maybe you didn't show up today, I don't know. I don't know, so maybe you didn't. But today, we'll, we're going to address the other ditch, which is license, uh, license uh, that the fact, you know, God saved me. And so like, hey, man, everything is good. Like, he'll forgive me and he will. Uh, but that shows contempt 
uh, for the cross of Christ and what he's done and his passion for you and his love for you. And um, he's called us to, to fight the power of sin in our life. He's called us to break the power of sin in our life. And so we should seek to put that part of us to death. So that part of you, that fleshly part of you that wars against the gospel, both from a legalistic perspective or a licentious perspective, that sin's no big deal. You know, we all got, you know, we're all got bad habits. Um, that, that, that part, of, it's, it, you're, you're going to war against that. And every time, those, every time messages like this get put out there like that, you're going to feel like, oh, I don't like that. Oh, I don't like that. That's that part of you that's at war with, with the gospel. And so I just want to, again, invite us to humility. I mean, check this out in 1 Peter, right? So 1 Peter, I think it's 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, I believe it is. It says the angels long to look upon these things. That is the gospel. Like they look at the gospel and they don't get it. I mean, they're thinking to themselves like, hey, man, every time we, we sin one time, we get thrown into outer darkness. These human beings keep sinning all the time and Christ keeps forgiving them. This gospel is a mystery. We long, they, they're looking at it and looking at it and looking at it and looking at it. If you think angels are doing that, you maybe just maybe we may need to take a second, a third, a fourth look at this gospel and kind of with a little bit of humility. And so that's my plea for us uh, today. And so last week, like I said, we looked at the, the gospel message and that the gospel um, declares that we had made a mess of our life, but Jesus outside of us in his mercy washed us, sanctified us, justified us, that in the darkest, most hidden part of our soul, he whispered, he loves us. And in response to that, we chase after him. We give him everything. We, we lay things aside and pursue him and make uh, our, we want to make the most of our lives for him by holding on to confession, not that me saves me, but Jesus saves me. And we, we looked at the fact that when we don't do this, because this is where the Corinthian church, this is a trap that they fell in because they did not confess sin. They got deceived by sin. That's what 1 John 1, 8 says, that if, if, if you're not confessing sin, you're being deceived by it. It's being hidden from you. So no wonder why you're like, I, you know, I'm okay. Well, of course you are, because you're deceived by it. And if we do that, we don't lose our salvation. It's not what happens to us, but we do lose our joy, our confidence, our peace, our witness, our saltiness. Jesus, in declaring the potential of the church, he said this in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In other words, that, that we are meant to be this beacon of light. We're meant to shine back to Jesus and to show how great he is because again, our life is not built on our performance. It's built upon the performance of Jesus. But when we don't uh, take uh, sin seriously, when we, when we just kind of say, hey, you know, we're all kinda, we all kind of mess up, we lose our saltiness. And we're, we're no good for anything. We might as well just shut our doors and stop pretending because we've lost our saltiness, we've lost our effectiveness, and we become a punchline on late night TV. Not because of what we believe, but because of the hypocrisy around what we believe. Because we don't even take ourselves seriously, so why should anybody else? No clapping? Okay, all right, so anyway. Um, <laughs> Let me be, no, 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 no. Doesn't count, doesn't count. 
But let me just make something really clear, because we are going to dive into something, and it's okay that it's silent. I can deal with awkwardness. Um, we're going to dive into taking sin seriously, but let me, let me, let me be super, super clear. I'm going to try to be clear about a few things, and this is something I'm going to be very, very clear about. There is a massive, massive difference between sinning or sin and unrepentant sin. We all sin. In fact, I ex expect you to sin. In fact, I get worried when I say, hey, you know, what, what are you struggling with? Oh, nothing. I'm good. That's, that's not good. We're, we're those who want to confess it. We're done pretending, you know, our symbol, our symbol of our faith is not a ladder. It's a cross. We don't climb up and say, hey, look at me. We, 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 we bow humbly before the cross. So we're going to say, so there's a huge difference between um, sinning and unrepentance. And in fact, I dug up an old quote from Augustine of Hippo, and he said this. Be ashamed when you sin. Don't be ashamed when you repent. Sin is the wound. Repentance is the medicine. Sin is followed by shame. Repentance is followed by boldness. Satan has overturned this order and given boldness to sin and shame to repentance. We want to bust that up. We want to bust that up. Boldness to repent. Boldness, confidence. Trusting in our confession that it's not about my performance. It's about the performance of our great God and King, Jesus Christ. So Paul starts off saying in verse one, it is reported that there is sexual immorality among you. That's just a junk drawer word for uh, anything that's out of bounds sexually, and we'll, we'll get into to defining some of that more in other sermons in this series. But he actually gives a little bit of specifics here. He says, and of the kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Now, some of you are going, is that his mom or his stepmom? We don't know. And personally, I don't want to know. Like, it's just, but here's the thing. If your line is two consenting adults, that fits. Paul's response, you're arrogant. You have buttons and bumper stickers and we're hip, cool, tolerant, open-minded. We live in freedom. Who are we to judge? Paul says you're arrogant and selfish. You ought to rather mourn. He said, blessed are you who mourn, for theirs is a kingdom. We receive the kingdom when we, when we have the right response towards sin or we have the right response toward the sin of others. We don't judge, we don't belittle, we don't make jokes, we don't rant, but we, we mourn. By the way, Paul is not so much alarmed that this guy sinned. He's alarmed at the church's response to this guy's sin. So we ought to mourn and we ought to confront. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Not because the person has sinned, but because the person is unrepentant in their sin. The immorality was not one side, one, you know, some kind of like one night stand followed by brokenhearted repentance. That would have resulted in a very different response from Paul. The verse says someone has not had sinned. They're on, they keep doing it. There is no repentance. There is no fleeing from this immorality. And Paul's kind of referring back to like, hey, look, Jesus was so clear. Matthew 18 that when we see a brother or sister in sin, plan A is we go to them in private, in private, 
to say, hey, you know what? You, you, I'm sure, you know, you may not have noticed this, but like I, I see that you're, you, you seem to be sinning here and, and don't, you don't feel any conviction over it. So you go in private, you try to win them privately. Doesn't work. Plan B, you go find a mat- another Christian who's mature, probably a community group leader. Say, man, I love this person. I love my brother. I love my sister. Sin is hurting them. It's destroying them. It's blinding them. It's deceiving them. Will you go with me? That doesn't work. Plan C, tell the church. In our case, elders. Elders fast. They pray. They consider, what is the best loving way to approach this person? You approach the person. They don't respond. Plan D is you remove them from fellowship. When we don't do this, we think, oh, you know, who am I to judge? Paul's like, that is not an expression of humility, but pride. And here's why. Because you're judging the wrong, we are judging the wrong person. In those moments, we say, I would rather judge God than my friend. That is the height of arrogance. Who am I to judge? You know, what am I? Yeah, you may have, maybe you have some stuff in your life that you need to deal with, which is why you, you know, you kind of this game, you know, like, you know, if I, I, won't, I won't call you out, you don't call me out, and that's kind of the game we play. But this attitude, like, who am I to judge? Well, when you, when you withdraw like that, you're judging God. That's why Paul's like, you're arrogant. You ought to mourn. You ought to be grieved. But you know what sin does. The brutal death of Jesus is the only thing that could solve it. Pride can lead you to legalism. Pride can lead you to license. Everyone is welcome at Jubilee Church. Everyone is welcome to join with us as we pick up our cross and pursue Jesus. He was so, so, so clear. Matthew 16, he told his disciples, he tells us, if anyone, if anyone, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other words, nobody gets to come to Jesus on their own terms. Nobody does. Everyone lays something down to follow him. Everybody does. Then he adds, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The attitude of culture which has seeped into the church at large is that we use Jesus to find life when we ought to be using our life to find Jesus. So the idea is, yeah, you know, Jesus is gonna, he's gonna help me get this, this life that I want, this, this job that I want, this career that I want, this family that I want, these relationships that I want. He's gonna help me get what I want. I will use Jesus to get my life. He says, whoever would save his life will lose it. If you think that way, you're not going to find life. And you'll wonder why it's not working. Jesus, how come you're not getting me what I want? This is, this is, this, I thought this was the deal. No, this is the deal. This is the deal. We, we give of our life to find him. And when we find him, we're, 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 like, we're like that, uh, that, that person who finds a treasure in a field. And when he discovers it, he goes gladly, joyfully, and gets rid of everything so that he could have this treasure, this pearl of great price. We all give up things. We all give up things. Not limited, but including our careers, our hobbies, our sexuality, our freedom. Ultimate freedom is not doing whatever you want. 
Ultimate freedom is doing whatever Christ wants. That's why Paul was glad to say, I am a slave to Christ. You want to know why? Because the alternative is being a slave to you. And my brothers and sisters, you are not as gracious, merciful, loving, kind, powerful as him. Paul's point is that we need to have a different attitude towards sin. We'll make this clear before we end. But firstly, our own sin, but also the sin of others. Not to punish the person, but to bring them to repentance. Again, we need to, we need to not have uh, boldness over sin, but, but shame over repentance. Shame over sin and boldness over repentance. With life, you know, Peter declared that beautiful, wonderful first message in Acts uh, 2, like, you know, repent. So that times of refreshing can come. He wants to refresh you. He wants to bring you back in. And then he adds, you know, in verse three, for I am absent in the body, I am present in the spirit. And as present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. You know, sometimes we play this game too. We'll be like, ah, you know, you know people don't know me. They can't speak into my life because they don't, they can't, they don't know me. And if, if they knew me, they would understand. Paul wasn't even there. He's like, I just heard the story. And I'm there in, in, in spirit. And then he adds, this is what should happen. When you assemble in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus. So we are appealing to the power of the Lord Jesus. This is really important. When we go through these processes, when we, when we take sin seriously, we are appealing not to our power, but to his power. When you gather, where two or three are gathered in my name, my spirit is uniquely there. You are to deliver this man to Satan. Check this out, for the destruction of his flesh. So our flesh, that part of us that's not yet submitted to God, is at war with the gospel. So something needs to happen. There needs to be a destruction of his flesh, which is a good thing. This isn't destroying the person. It's destroying the desire for sin in the person. Deliver this man to Satan. I mean, that sounds weird. I, what is he talking about? He's talking about how God is in control. That's what he's talking about. So there isn't some dualistic battle between good and evil, right? There's no suspense. Who's going to win in the end? Is, is it God or is it, is it Satan? You know, they're kind of like, you know, working. Man, at, at, at Calvary, the, the, the throat of Satan was mortally slit. Satan is a pawn at best in whatever God wants to do. Satan means things for harm in your life, but God turns that into good in your life. There's this passage in Isaiah 54 says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. Now, I know you have to be Pentecostal to understand that, but the, what that means is that even the devil, the devil will not have his way with you. The devil will try, and God will use it for your good. Job 2, 6, and the Lord said to Satan, I didn't even know they were talking, but they were. Behold, he, Job, is in your hand, only spare his life. 40 chapters, 40 painful chapters later, Job says, therefore I, I despise myself and repent. God used it. Destroyed that part of Job that was not yet submitted to God. 
2 Corinthians 12, even happened to Paul. So like to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations. Paul's like, man, I'm like, God has really given me all these revelations and gifting. And so to keep me from getting conceited, a thorn was given in my flesh. Check this out. A messenger of Satan. Paul had the understanding that Satan was, was doing things to harm him. But he had this understanding that somehow God was using it. Even though Paul pleaded for it to be taken away, he, he had the confidence that even though I don't understand it and God, it's not, you know, not my will, but your will. But if it is, if you can remove it, remove it. So Paul was not in a place of saying, man, I love this thorn. But he knew because of his confidence in God that it was going to work out for good. My brothers and sisters, when it comes to dealing with sin, our own sin and sin in other people, we have to be confident in the power of God. For confident in ourselves and our performance and what we do and what we don't do, we won't do it. Hope is repentance. Hope is repentance. We don't want to destroy the person. We want to destroy the desire for sin. And I've seen people come back. I've seen people come to their senses. I miss my church. I miss my friends. My conscience is bothering me. Will you forgive me? It's amazing. It's amazing. Then he adds more warning. He says, do you not know that a little leaven lumps, leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. He's saying sin is not static. It's, it's like cancer. In fact, it, it moves faster. It can, it can spread really fast. So it's not like, hey, you have a little sin. You can just deal. You can't just have a little leaven and, and it not affect the whole lump. You have, to, you have to get rid of the leaven so that you remain unleavened. Otherwise, a whole lump is ruined. And God just turns out the light. The devil doesn't close churches. God closes churches. We need to be sober-minded. Every person in this room, every man, woman, and child has been gifted in grace by God to build his church. We believe this at the very fiber of our being, that he has graced every single one of you to do bigger things than you could ever think or imagine. But it doesn't mean anything if we don't deal with the sin in our life. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And then he says, this is an important distinction. I wrote to you my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or the idolaters, since then you would have to go out of this world. <laughs> if you're going to get rid of all the sexually immoral people, you're just going to have to leave. And actually, that's been some of the response of some people to varying degrees. At some end, it's like, you know, let's we'll create a commune, which get away from the world so we don't catch the sinnies. And then we can be free from that. But, but, but the call for us is not to leave the world. Jesus says, I, 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 you're, in, you're being in the world, just not of it. You're to be all mixed in. And we can have the temptation to want to lead. Like, okay, now I just need to lead, get around people who are not 
sexually immoral. And that's not what God's call is. So I'm just going to move away, whatever that means, to get away from people. who don't sin when reality, God's, Paul is saying, God's saying through Paul, actually the kind of people I'm telling you not to associate with are the people in the church who are not repenting. I'm writing you to not associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother or sister. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater or reviler, drunkard or swindler, don't even have a meal with such a person. For what have I to do judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Christians are notorious for expecting more from non-Christians than they are Christians, and it should be the very opposite. So should you be friends with someone who is in unrepentant sin? Well, if they don't claim to be a Christian, then absolutely yes. Actually, that's a calling. Sometimes I hear people say, oh man, everybody on my street is a Christian. Isn't it wonderful? I'm like, no, it's not. We want to get around non-Christians. We want to love them. We want to share Jesus with them. We want to invite them to services. However, if they claim to be a Christian... And they refuse to repent. This, again, I have to make this so clear. We're not talking about people who, who um, sin. We're talking about people who don't repent of sin. Don't even have a meal with them. Leave them alone. We extend all the mercy and grace to the unrepentant Christians, but we drop the hammer on non-Christians. How we talk and what we say and the world is this and the world is that. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we want you to experience the love and the patience of Jesus. We are not God. We do not have the right or the power or the insight or the wisdom to judge you at all every week. I am so glad I get to meet uh, non-Christians in our services all the time. We have no intention of judging who you are, where you've been, how you live. We just want you to meet Jesus. And we are so, so, so glad that you're here. We are so, so glad that you're here. But if you are a Christian and you are living in unrepentant, habitual sin and don't want to change, that's another important distinction. I'm not saying you struggle with sin. I'm saying you have no desire to turn and change from your sin. Were you here last week when I, when I said, um, I said something to the effect of like, man, like I, I, in my, in my, in my pride, I'll say things to people around me, naming them like my family that, that just is wrong. You guys just remember that? Anybody remember that? No one remembers that? Just say you remember it. Okay. <laughs> um, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I did it again last week. I was short with them. I, I got unnecessarily angry with them. I struggle with that. I'm not saying you should kick me out of the church. (laughs) 
If you struggle with a sin, whatever that sin is, you're trying to beat lust. You want to change. You're doing what you can. You're being honest. You're confessing it, but you're struggling. That's not what, that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about being in a place of unrepentance, a place where you hide. We don't judge people outside the church because that's God's job. We don't make posts complaining why non-Christians don't act like Christians. We don't ridicule the behavior of non-Christians. We don't judge them. However, we do judge people inside the church. And some of you may struggle with this. Some of you would say, well, didn't Jesus say not to judge? Some people say that we're a young church now, but I started leading this church when I was 29. We were a lot younger then. And I have had tons of conversations with marginal Christians in their 20s. And there's two verses that they've got nailed. Uh, the first one is every seed bearing plant the Lord God gave is good, uh, which means I can smoke weed. Uh, and the other one is that you shouldn't judge. And so their entire theological framework is I can get high and you can't judge me. And so, so I, I have had a lot of conversations here. And so and every time that happens, I, I want to do a little Bible study with them. And, and this is the way it goes. I take them to the passage that they quote in Matthew 7, where Jesus does say, judge not. Judge not. But here's what he goes on to say. He says, why do you see a speck in your brother's eye? Notice the size. When you've got a two by four coming out of your eye. Here's a thought. Remove the two by four. So that you can see clearly so that you can and will and must remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Translation, you, you judge you just don't judge like a hypocrite. What Jesus was saying is don't judge like a hypocrite. What, how do hypocrites judge? Well, the hypocrites, they, they have a higher standard for other people's sin than their own. You can, you can hear them because they talk a lot about the sin of others, the sin in the world, the sin of that person over here, over there, talk very little about their own sin. They also, um, they also have, um, so they have a higher standard and they have a, um, a, a different standard. They, they view other sin as being bigger, bigger than theirs. So Jesus said, hey, don't judge like that. Here's, you gotta remove the two by four that you can help your brother with their speck. So we are, we are called to judge each other with the speck that they have in their uh, in their eye, but we have to first deal with our own, which means that we always have to see. We have to see our sin as being the big one, which is why humility should fall over our lives. We should, we should, we should be mourning. We should be mourning. And, and again, Christians get this backwards. We are the harshest critics of non-Christians, then our brother, then ourselves. Jesus said the exact opposite. You should be the harshest critic on yourself. Here's what Paul said. Here's, here's Paul's deception. He, in, in the first part of this passage in 1 Timothy, he lays out you know, the, the, you know, all these different groups of people who sin, but then he says this. Can we show that? He said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul's at the twilight of his life. We don't know how much longer he actually lived after this, not long. 
20 years of powerful ministry. And his conclusion is I've seen it all and just count me the worst of them all. Was he the worst? Probably not. But Jesus said, think of your sin as a two by four and the sin of your brother as a speck and just keep your mouth shut when it comes to the world. Who are you to judge the outsider? That's God's job. God has massive plans for this church. He has massive plans for you. You don't have to be afraid or have any shame at confessing your sin. We're done pretending. We're done building a life based upon our performance. We want to build lives. We want to build this church upon the performance of Jesus. Which means we say no to legalism. We say no to rules-based thinking of my brother and sister through the lens of whatever I think is more important. I've said this before, the most common phrase I've heard in the last 18 months is, I don't understand, and I don't understand, and I don't understand why they, why they, why they, why they. Because you got a log in your eye, and you don't see clearly. The gospel says, Jesus says, remove that log. Because yes, We've, there's, we got business to do and there are other Christians who need your help in identifying issues in their life and we all need to be gracious and confess and love and encourage and spur each other on to love and good deeds. We can't play games. We can't pretend. We're not trying to climb some ladder. We're trying to humble ourselves and bow before the cross and point to the saving grace of Jesus. And then people will, they'll think our beliefs are still crazy. They'll still criticize that. But Jesus said, you know what? They really do lay their lives down for each other. In fact, they're even laying their lives down for the world. Even though we persecute them, they're still serving us and loving us. The Bible says that they will Look upon our good deeds and glorify our Father. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want His glory? Don't we want Him? Don't we want to? We see Him as the, 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 the wonderful treasure that we sell everything for to get after and have. So as we move forward in our lives together, move forward specifically in this series. I just wanna invite us to, first, can we, can we be a community that, that takes the sin in our own life seriously? Can we be humble about that? Can we be honest about that? And understand that, yeah, there's, we have a flesh that resists that, but what about this and what about that? And if you only understood, and, 
Yeah, but we can humble ourselves, move the plank. Oh, and then now I can see. And oh man, my my brother over here is is in sin. I want to help him. I want to love him because they're they're doing something dangerous. I just want to like hope it turns out okay. It's like my kids when they're little. We didn't just like let them gnaw on the Drano and hope it worked out okay. Oh, we're gonna go there and help them. You see your brother in sin. I'm like, oh, I hope it's out okay. That's arrogance. We, we want to say God is right. It's the ultimate of arrogance to say God is wrong. We don't want to be that way. We want to be humble. He calls balls and strikes. He's the one. We're not it. Religion. We don't want to be religious people. We don't want to be like referees running around. They don't put on pads. They don't run a play. They just have a whistle and they go around telling everybody they're wrong. We're called to be on the field, and we don't have, we don't have time to play games. We we've got we've got plays to run. God has a purpose for our life. So let's do as Hebrews says and cast aside every weight, every sin that that clings to us. Well, maybe stand. Let's stand. I want to pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us, outside of us, on our behalf, that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. God, I pray that if there's any way that we have moved away from that gospel, if we are falling into legalistic traps, if we are falling into licentious traps, God, I pray we would have ears to hear your spirit, that we'd be those that see our own sin bigger than our brother's. But God, that we would have the humility to deal with our own and the faith and confidence in you to help our brothers and sister. God, we just admit that we don't see all, know all, but you do, and you work out all things for good. You work out all things for good. We trust you. We humble ourselves before you.